at the end of the hall, there was a little booth, such as you sometimes see near escalators for obtaining transfers to other lines. Bags were piled up around it, reinforced here and there with massive iron plates. One of the patrolmen was taking the cover off an extremely formidable looking type of weapon, and the other was sitting in the booth. On it was mounted the various searchlight that was shining upwards. Upwards, but no amber, no barrier here, and not even a trace of one. The steps of the escalator began right behind the booth, leading up to the surface. That was where the beam of the searchlight struck, anxiously probing from wall to wall, as if trying to find something in the pitch darkness. But only picking up some kind of, of but only picking up some kind of some kind of brownish lamplight and the damp ceiling from which enormous chunks of plaster were peeling off and beyond. Beyond that, one could see nothing. Suddenly, everything fell in place. For some reason, here the metal damper that usually separated the station from the surface was missing. It was missing both from the platform and from above. Pavoletskaya was a direct contact with the outside world, and its residents found themselves under constant threat of attack. They breathed contaminated air, drank contaminated water, which is probably why it tasted so strange. That was why there were so many more mutants here among young people than, for example, at VDNKH. That was why the adults looked so sickly, their skulls exposed and polished to a shine, their bodies worn out and subject to decay. They were gradually being devoured by radiation sickness. But still, that was not all, apparently. How could one explain the fact that the whole station died after 8 o'clock in the evening? that the dark-haired duty officer by the fire had said that surviving until morning was a big deal. Trembling, Artyom approached the man sitting in the booth. Good evening, the man returned his greeting. He was about fifty, but already quite bald. His remaining gray hairs tangled at the temples and the nape of the neck. His dark eyes looked curiously at Artyom and his unpretentious laced up black jacket could not conceal his rotund stomach. A pair of binoculars a pair of binoculars hung on his chest, along with a whistle, grand old time, along with a whistle. Have a seat, he pointed to Artyom at the nearest sandbag. Those guys over there are having a grand old time, leaving me here alone to bore myself to death. So let's have a chat. Hey, did you hit something's, someone's fist with your eye? And so the conversation began. As you see, we haven't been able to do anything halfway decently, the duty officer explained sadly, pointing to the uh, aper aperture leading to the escalator. You would need concrete here, not iron. We tried iron, but it was no good. In the autumn, every damn thing is swept away by water. First it builds, then it breaks through. It happened several times, and many people perished. Since then, we've been getting by like this. Only life is not tranquil here like it is at other stations. We're always waiting, 
Skunk can come crawling in on any given night. During the daytime, they don't bother us because they're either sleeping or roaming around on the surface. But it's after dark that things really get desperate. So, we've adapted here, of course. After 8 o'clock, everyone goes into the passageway where we live. And those left here are mostly the people who keep things going. But wait, he broke off. Flicked a switch on the console, and the searchlight flared up brightly. The conversation continued only after the white beam had scoured all three escalators, moved along the ceiling and the walls, and finally died out. Up there, pointing towards the ceiling, the duty officer lowered his voice. Is Pavelitskaya Railway Station. At any rate, it used to be there. A godforsaken place. I don't even know where its tracks have gone. Only that right now, something horrible is going on up there. You sometimes hear noises that make your blood run cold. And then when they crawl down, he stopped and then continued after a minute. We call them the newcomers, these creatures that climb down from up there, out of the train station. So it's not so horrible. Well, a few times, some of the stronger of these newcomers wiped out this cord. Did you see our train here? The one forced off the tracks? That's how far they got. We wouldn't let them go below, where the women and children are. If the newcomers crawled down there, and the jig would be up. Our men under, uh, understood that themselves, and our men understood that themselves, and so they retreated to the train, dug in there, and finished off a few creatures. But as for ourselves, just two out of ten remained alive. One of the newcomers left, crawling off to the Nevokoznetskaya station. Some people wanted to go after him in the morning. Since the train of slime had left behind, no, since the trail of slime he left behind was so thick, that he turned off at a side tunnel, went down, and we didn't dare follow him. We had enough disaster as it was. I heard that nobody ever attacks Kolotskaya. Pavolotskaya, Artyom recalled. Is that true? Of course, the duty officer nodded gravely. Who would bother us? If we weren't manning the defenses here, they would be crawling from here all the way along the line. No, nobody is going to lift a finger against us. The Hansa have given us almost all of their transfer passage, up to the very end of their blockhouse. They gave us weapons just so that we would pretend we would protect them. I tell you, they really love to get others to do their dirty work. By the way, what's your name? I'm Mark. Artyom told him his name. Hold it, Artyom. Something is stirring over there. Mark continued, and he quickly switched the searchlight back on. No, I'm probably hearing things. He said uncertainly after a minute. Artyom was filled. Artyom was filled drop by drop with an oppressive sense of danger. Like Mark, he looked above attentively. But, where Mark saw only the shadow of the broken lamp, Artyom thought he detected sinister, fantastic silhouettes, motionless in the dazzling beam of light. At first he thought it was his imagination playing tricks on him, but one of the station contours stirred just a bit, as soon as a bit of light passed over it. Wait, he whispered. 
try over in that corner, for there's a big crack hurry, and as if nailed in place by the light beam somewhere far off, further than the middle of the escalator, something large and phony froze for a moment, and then suddenly swooped down. Mark grabbed the whistle, which almost leapt out of his hands, and blew it with all of his might, and in a second, all those sitting around the fire rushed from their places and scrambled into position. It turned out there was another searchlight there. It was weaker, but cleverly combined with an unusual heavy machine gun. Artyom had never seen anything like it. The weapon had a long barrel with a bell muzzle at the end. The trailer was shaped like a web, and the cartridges moved along inside the greased and shining ammunition's belt. Over there, around the tenth meter, the husky thin fellow, uh, who, the husky tent, thin fellow who had been sitting near Mark searched above for the newcomer with the beam. Give me the binoculars, Lekka. At the tent, on the right side. There it is. We're all here, baby. So sit still," muttered the gunner, aiming the weapon at the hidden black shadow. "I've got it." The deafening rumble of machine gun fire burst out. A lamp, a lamp was blown to smithereens at the tenth meter, and above, something let out a piercing shriek. "Looks like we caught him," declared the husky fellow. "Okay, give me some more light. There it is, lying there." Finished the vermin, but. From above, for a long time, heavy, almost human groans could be heard, leaving Artyom on edge. When he proposed finishing off the newcomer, it put it out of its misery. No, when, when he proposed finishing off the newcomer to put it out of its misery, they replied, If you want, go on, kill it. We aren't a shooting gallery here, kiddo. We keep track of every cartridge. Mark was relieved of duty and went over to the fire with Artyom. Mark lit up a cigarette from the fire, and Artyom began to listen to the genera- general conversation. Look, Lekka, what, look, Lekka was telling us yesterday about the Herr Krishnas, a massive man with a low forehead and a powerful neck was speaking in a low, deep voice. They sit at Aktayavrovskoy Tol and want to get into the Kurchatov Institute to blow up the nuclear reactor and bring enlightenment for everybody. But they have not yet got their act together to do it. Well, that reminded me of what happened to me four years ago when I was still living at the Sevalovskaya. One day, I was going, I was getting ready to go to the Balarovskaya my concentration was at the Novoslobodskaya, so I went straight through the Hansa. So I got to Belaruskaya, quickly went to the man I needed to meet. We dealt with our affairs, and I figured we ought to celebrate with a drink. So he says to me, You'd better be more careful. Drunks often vanish around here. And I say to him, Give me a break, and I won't take no for an answer. So he and I killed the bottle together. The last thing I remember is that he was crawling around on all fours and crying, I am Lunacol. I am Lunacol. 
one, the lunar rover. Then I wake up, mother of God, tied up, gagged, my noggin shaved, lying in some kind of closet, probably in what used to be a cop shop. What a disaster, say I to myself. After half an hour, some devils come in and drag me to the hall by the scruff of the neck. I had no idea where I was. Where I was. All the signs carrying place names had been torn down. The walls were smeared with something, the floor bloody, the fires burning. Almost the whole station had been dug up, and there was a deep pit below, at least 20 meters, if not 30. There were stars drawn on the floor and ceiling, all in a single line, you know? The way children draw, well, I'm wondering, had the reds got me? Then I turned my head around, not quite. They brought me over to the pit, lowered a rope, and told me to climb down, and prodded me with an assault rifle. I looked in. There were people piled up at the bottom, digging the pit deeper with pieces of scrap metal and shovels. The earth was being hoisted up with a winch, loaded into wagons, and carted off somewhere. Well, there was nothing I could do. I decided, as long as those fellows were there with their assault rifles, crazy guys, all of them tattooed from head to toe, a criminal enterprise of some kind. Probably I had landed in the zone, and it as if, and it's as if these authorities are dragging out. They want to escape, and these petty hooligans are their hired hands. But then I realized that all, that's all nonsense. What kind of metro zone has no cops? I tell them I'm afraid of heights, and I crash down right onto, no, and I crash down right onto my head, and that's, and, and that they won't get much use out of me. They conferred among themselves and set me to work loading wagons with dirt, and had been, that had been brought up from the, from below. Scumbags cuffed me, chained me, and now they expect me to load their wagon. <laughs> but still, I couldn't figure out what they were doing. The job, to put, to put it mildly, was not an easy one. I was lucky, he shrugged his gigantic shoulders. But there were some weaker guys there. So whenever someone collapsed into the dirt, the skinheads would pick him up, drag him off to, to the stairway. No, would, would pick him up and drag him off to the stairway. Then I went past one time and I took a look. They had one guy there, a real blockhead, the time, no, the type who used to stand in Red Square where the heads rolled, and he had a good-sized axe stuck in him. There was blood everywhere. The heads were impaled on toes. I nearly puked. No, I think to myself, I'd better get out, I'd better get out of here before they kill me and make me into a stuffed animal. Okay, and who was it? The husky fellow who sat by the searchlight interrupted impatiently. I asked the man I was loading with. You know who? Satanists? Get it? They decided, you see, that the end of the world has already come, and the metro is the gate to hell. And he said something about a circle or something. I don't remember. Gateway Gunner corrected him. Okay, so the metro is the gateway to hell, 
and the hell, and hell itself is a little bit deeper down. And the devil, you see, is waiting there for them. They just have to reach it, so they're digging. It's been four years since then. Maybe they've already hit bottom. And where is it, the gunner asked. I don't know. By God, I don't know. Well, I sure got myself out of there. I threw myself onto a wagon while the guards, or while the guard wasn't watching, and sprinkled some dirt over me. I rolled along somewhere for a long time. Then they dumped out the contents of the wagon from high up. I passed out and came to, crept along, crawled out of some sort of tracks, and just keeping on straight ahead. But these tracks kept crossing other tracks. My sense of direction deserted. Then somebody picked me up, and when I woke up, I was only at Dubrovka. Get it? And the guy who had picked me up had gone off already. Such a nice guy. So I thought, where am I? Then they talked about rumors that in Illich Square, Illich Square, and the Rumskaya, there was an epidemic of some kind and many people had died, but Artyom paid no attention. The idea that the metro was the threshold of hell, or maybe even its first circle, mesmerized him, and a bizarre image arose before his eyes. Hundreds of people crawling around like ants, endlessly digging a pit with their hands, a shaft leading nowhere, until one day one of their pieces of scrap metal strikes strangely out of the sto soil, without sinking down below, and then hell and the metro are finally merged into one. Then it occurred to him that this station, people like almost just... Then it occurred to him that at this station, People live almost just like at BDNKH, constantly attacking monsters, monstrous creatures from the surface, holding off the onslaught alone. And if Pavoletskaya faltered, these monsters would spread throughout the line, which meant that the role of BDNKH is not so unique as he had previously assumed. Who knew how many such stations there were in the metro? each covering its own turf, doing battle, not for the sake of general tranquility, but for its own hide. You could go back, retreat to the center, blow your tunnels up after you, but then you'd be left with less and less residential space, until all those who were still alive would be squeezed into a small patch of land, and would gnaw their way through one another's gullets. But if VDNKH was really nothing special, if there was other exits to the surface that it, that it was impossible to conceal, that meant Artyom decided to discontinue that line of thought. It was just the voice of weakness, of treasonous, sugary seduction arguments not to continue the journey, to stop striving towards the goal, that he mustn't give up. That was a dead end. To distract himself, he re resumed listening to the others' conversation. At first, they were talking about the chances of something named Pasca to win sort, some sort of victory. Then the husky fellow started to talk about how some idiots attacked Katai Garad and shot loads of people. But the timely arrival of the Kaluga Brotherhood empowered them 
and the cutthroats went back to Kaganskaya. Artyom wanted to point out that it was not Kaganskaya at all, but the Tetyakovskaya. But he was prevented from doing so by some scrawny guy whose face was hidden, and who said that the Kalugans had pretty much been kicked out of Katai Garad, and now a new group controlled it, which nobody had ever heard of before. The husky dude argued heatedly with him, and Artyom started to nod off. This time he dreamed about nothing at all and slept so soundly that even when the alarm whistle went off and everyone jumped up, he just couldn't wake up. It was probably a false alarm because no shots were fired. When Mark finally woke him up, it was already a quarter to six. Get up. Time to go on duty. He cheerfully shook Artyom by the shoulder. Let's go. I'll show you the passageway that they wouldn't let you into yesterday. Do you have a passport? Artyom shook his head. Well, never mind. We'll smooth it over somehow. Mark promised, and indeed, after a few minutes, they were already in the passage, and the security officer whistled the go-ahead, obligingly fondling two cartridges. The passageway was very long, even longer than the station itself. There were canvas, there were canvas tents along one wall, and rather bright little lamps burning. Hansa takes care of us, Mark smirked. And along the other, and along the other was a partition, long but not high, not more than a meter. By the way, this is one of the longest passageways in the whole metro. Mark said proudly. What's behind the partition? You ask, and you don't know. Why is why it's a marvelous thing? All of everything we earn goes goes there. Half of everything we earn goes there. Just wait, it's still early. Things will start up later on. It's almost always the same in the evening when the entrance to the station is closed and people don't have anything else to do. Although there can be qualification rounds during the day. No, not really. You've never heard of it? Why, we've got a totalizator for rat races. A totalizator for rat races. We call it the Hippodrome. I thought everybody knew about it. He said with surprise. He finally realized that Artyom was not joking. Do you like to gamble much? I'm a gambler myself. Artyom was certainly interested in watching races, but had never been fanatically up or fanatical about it. Besides now, having slept so long, a storm cloud of guilt was, not, was growing and darkening over his head. He couldn't wait until evening. No, he, he couldn't wait until evening, couldn't wait at all. He had to get moving. Too much time had already been wasted. But the way to Polis lived through Hansa, and right now there was no way of getting there. I probably can't stay here until evening, said Artie. I have to go to Polyanka. But then you'll be going across Hansa, said Mark, with a frown. How are you going to get across Hansa if you have no visa and no passport either? I can't help you there. But wait, let me throw out an idea. The chief of Pavletskaya, not our Pavletskaya, but the one on the ring, is a great fan of these races. His rat pirate is a favorite. He comes here every night with a security detail and full lighting. 
How about wagering yourself personally against me? But I haven't got anything to wager with, Artie objected. Wager yourself as a servant. For if you want, I'll wager you. Mark's eyes sparkled with excitement. If we win, you get a visa. If we lose, you'll get there just the same. Although, of course, it will be up to you how to get out. Is there an alternative? Artyom did not like the plan. It seemed somehow shameful to sell himself into slavery. And what's more, to and once more to lose himself to a rat totalizer. He decided to try to get Hansa some other way. For a couple of hours, he hung around some stern border guards in dappled gray uniforms. They were dressed exactly like that, like those at Prospect, Prospect Park, trying to strike up a conversation. But they kept, they kept mum. They kept, they kept mum. After one of them contemptuously called him One Eye, that was unfair because his left eye had already begun to open. Although, it still hurt like him, and told him to buzz off. Artyom finally abandoned that fruitless effort of starting, and started looking for the most sinister and suspicious people at the station. The weapon and drug trader. Anyone who might be a contraband runner, but no one wanted to convey Artyom to Hansa in exchange for his automatic weapon and his lamp. Everyone came on. No, evening came on, and Artyom met it with white despair, sitting on the floor of the passageway and wallowing in self-flagellation. Around this time, the passage became more lively. The adults were returning from work, having dinner with their families. The children were making an uproar until time to go to bed, and finally, after the gates were locked, everyone poured out of their stalls and tents towards the race course. There were lots of people here, at least 300. Finding Mark in such a crowd was no easy job. People were betting on how Pirate was running, whether Pushka would beat him just for once, mentioning various nicknames and other runners, but these two evidently had no, had no competition. The important rat owners approached the starting position carrying their well-groomed pets in little cages. The chief of Pavoletskaya ring was nowhere to be seen, and Mark also seemed to have disappeared from the face of the earth. Artyom was even afraid that he was on patrol again today and would not. What in the world would he do then? Finally, a small procession appeared at the other end of the passageway. Walking with an escort of two Marus bodyguards, an old man with a shaved head, lush, well-groomed mustaches, gla glasses, and an austere black suit bore his corp corpulent body along with no hurry, with dignity. One of the security guards held a cushioned red velvet box with a lattice wall in which something gray was thrashing about. The most, that most likely was the famous pirate. The bodyguard carried the box with the rat to the starting line, and the mustached old man walked over to the referee sitting behind a little desk, chucked his aide off a chair, sat down heavily in the empty space, and started up a leisurely conversation. The second 
security man stood nearby, his back his back to the to the wall, legs spread wide, and with his hands on the short black automatic hanging around his chest. Such an imposing fellow was not the sort of person with whom to discuss a wager. Even to get close to him was frightening. Saw then saw no then Artyom saw the sloppily so, dressed Mark scratching his long unwashed head, approaching these venerable people and beginning to explain something to the referee. From that distance, all he could hear was an intonation, but he could certainly see that the mustached old man at first flushed with indignation, with indignation, then grimaced arrogantly, finally nodded with displeasure, took off his glasses and started to clean 